Thanks for joining me on episode 22 of the podcast. In this episode, I had the privilege of speaking with Paul Moore, a psychoanalytic psychotherapist and course director of the Masters in Psychoanalytic Psychotherapy and lecturer in psychoanalysis and neuropsychoanalysis in Trinity College, Dublin. Paul gave me his understanding of what psychoanalysis is, broadly speaking, while also diving into the nuts and bolts of it. Paul explained how psychoanalysis has various branches, including his specialisation, post-Kleinian psychoanalysis. We spoke about some of the concepts and techniques used in psychoanalysis, as well as the typical tropes, such as dream interpretation, the Rorschach test, lying on the couch, the Oedipus complex, and whether and why these are still in use. Please don't forget to help spread the word of these episodes by subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Welcome back to the Therapy Explained podcast. Today I'm joined by Paul Moore, a psychoanalytic psychotherapist and assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Trinity College Dublin. Thanks for joining me today, Paul. Thanks for inviting me, James. Glad to be here. Today we're going to speak about psychoanalysis, but before we get into that, Paul, I was wondering if you could explain what was it that orientated you towards psychoanalysis? Uh, there's a, a bit of a long story, James. Um, the, I, I started out, I suppose my background, uh, my original education, as it were, was in engineering. Um, and I spent a lot of time working in construction. Um, and then in my, in my 30s, I went back um, and did a, a psychology degree uh, part-time. Um, it was actually an arts degree. Uh, with psychology as, as a, ma- a major and philosophy and English literature uh, as two kind of mi- minor minor subjects. Um, and I, I suppose my first j- job in psychology was working in um, applied behaviour analysis with, uh, with children with autism. Um, so I spent a few years at, at that. And um, while I enjoyed the work and enjoyed working with the, with the kids and, and, and people, the approach was somewhat limiting for me. Um, I, you know, I, I found that it, it didn't um, really include ideas about the, the mind or imagination and, or, or dreams even, you know. Um, it was very much about the observable behaviour. Um, and that's the modality, and that's you know it's, it's a very particular philosophy. Um, so that's what really motivated me, and um, I had an ambition to, as we just mentioned before you started recording, to uh, to train as a clinical psychologist, and uh, and I needed to to do a master's, um, and there was a um, an MPhil in psychoanalytic studies in Trinity, uh, so I, I took that. Um, I was interested in Freud and psychoanalysis at undergraduate level um, and that's what really got me interested in it, in it then and um, I ended up um, the the person who was, uh, well, he's now the director of the course but at the time he was lecturing I had, I had a conversation with him, he was involved in the clinical psychology training in, in Trinity, John, John O'Connor, Dr John O'Connor um, and he you know, we had a good chat about it, and he said to me, "Well, I don't really think it's clinical psychology that you're interested in. It might be, you know, a uh, training as a psychoanalytic psychotherapist." So he kind of nudged me in that direction, and I I, I went on and I did the training um, in the Department of Psychiatry, um, the an, an MSc in, in psychoanalytic psychotherapy, and and the clinical training uh, attached to it, and um, that's that, that's really how I, I ended up here. 
it reminds me of a saying that I quite like, um, you don't choose your values, you discover them. And, you know, you were on a bit of a path of discovery and you thought you thought you knew what you wanted, but then some, there was more of a calling towards psychoanalysis than the, I guess, maybe more traditional route of clinical psychology and maybe even, I guess, the more safe route of clinical psychology. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, knowing what I know now about clinical psychology, um, it probably wasn't really what, what I wanted to do. So you made the right choice? I think so, yeah. How would you define psychoanalysis? That's a big one. Um, well, for me, there are many definitions out, out there, but for me, it's a therapeutic approach that places um, a lot of emphasis on unconscious processes within a person. So um, it's um, it's li- listening to maybe unconscious pa- patterns of, of behavior um, and trying to identify them and trying to see where they're operating uh, in the present, in the in the here and now of the person's life. My understanding is that is that there's um, kind of a variety of approaches within psychoanalysis. Is that right? The, that's correct. Yeah, there there are quite quite a few different strands and and schools um and, and and discipline so you've you've got the i suppose the original um approach which is the Fro- the freudian approach and there is a a school of uh contem- there's a contemporary freudian school and an orthodox freudian school and um the, the you know they they're sometimes more freudian than freud was himself um they're they're quite they can be quite strict in in, how, in their application of of Freud's theories and, and, and techniques. And then there's uh, another another branch, I suppose the two main divisions are Freudian and, and um, the followers of um, a, a theorist called Melanie Klein. Um, and then there there are more contemporary versions of that. And that would be the school that I, that I trained in, which is um, sometimes referred to as post-Kleinian or uh, the independent tradition or object relations theory. And uh, I'm assuming then that that would be your preferred approach. Yeah, I, yeah. I suppose you know. Um, yeah, it's kind, of, it's 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 kind of eclectic, but in a very a very st- structured way. You know, it's the- theoretically quite you know quite rigorous, but um, it, it, it certainly wouldn't be uh, strictly Freudian. Um, but it's important to mention there's another school, uh, the Lacanian school, which originated in France. Uh, from the, the 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 work of a, a French theorist, uh, Jacques Lacan, um, and that's probably the biggest school in Ireland at the moment. Um, so that's the biggest modality of, of psychoanalysis. Um, so you know, it's there are all these kind of de- de- developments out of Freud. Um, and I'm assuming they all work on unconscious processes, but they'll have some degree of variation in what they do with that or how they approach it. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, the, I suppose the, now I'm not I wouldn't consider myself very well versed in in, in Lacan um, but I, I, I know a fair bit about Freud um, and, and Klein and, and post Kleinian theorists and, and essentially they're all doing the same thing in terms of kind of listening for the unconscious uh, material the sub the subtext as it were um, you know what what else is, is going on with the person that's not immediately obvious from what they're saying um you know how, and how they're, they're they're presenting so we 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 pay very close attention to um you know the, th- the themes that might be arising um in the in the session 
um, and also how they might be linked or connected to previous sessions or the history that the, the person you know may you know may have have told us about um, the 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 Lacanian school tends to as far as I understand it focus quite strongly on language um, and and how the person uses language um, and and kind of um, similar you know maybe uh, what they call sig signifiers so you know symbols or uh, words that might mean um, not just the one thing but, but you know several different things um, and they would you know they would kind of pay attention to all of that um, and, and pull together a, a theme out of it. Um, so very much trying to pick up on patterns and themes. Yeah but, uh, but very much at a language level um, and, and Freud would have been quite similar. So Freudians would be quite similar, and they'd they'd be uh, maybe less interactive with with their patients. They'd you know they'd, they'd maybe stand off. They'd, they'd um, be I suppose they'd kind of um, they'd create an environment where there would be the kind of the classic you know blank screen analyst, where the analyst wouldn't say a lot, would be quite silent, and allow the anxieties to. Uh, to kind of emerge in the person, and they'd be, I suppose, more um, more in the line of analysing defences and resistances. Um, whereas the with the school that I'm trained in, it's 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 much more interactive. You're you're much more interactive with the pa the patient. It's much more conversational. Um, the important thing is the relationship. You know, trying trying to build a a, a good relationship. With, with the patient um, and that's that's for suppose our approach that's where the work really really gets done is in the in the relationship and so there's something restorative about the relationship and build <coughs> that healthy relationship yeah, yeah and at the, at the maybe more kind of at one end of the spectrum of all those kind of uh, contemporary theorists there's um you know it's 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 less there's less emphasis on what you say uh, but more emphasis on on how you are with the patient. So how you know to li listening very very deeply to the patient and you know reflecting and and containing um, the emotional the emotional content content mainly. Yeah. Whereas the Freudian approach seems to be a lot more standoffish, and it 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 might almost see that as a way of kind of giving reassurance to the patient, where they're all they're trying to kind of let that anxiety manifest and through that uh, learning will come yeah but it's i suppose what what we've what we've learned i mean that's you know over 100 years ago now that since freud developed those techniques what we've learned is that that can be that can be traumatizing it works for some people some people can tolerate it and some people work quite well in in that modality but it can be quite traumatizing for people um to not have their their anxiety you know, re recognized or, you know, uh, interacted with in a, in a more maybe compassionate way. Uh, yeah, no, that, that makes sense that not everyone would be able for that and that there'll be different degrees to which you can approach someone with the types of interventions you have. And, you know, I guess occasionally you'll hear that the work of Freud is debunked or outdated. I'm wondering what you might have to say to that, Paul. I know, is it is it not as black and white as that? No, it's it's not, James. I mean, it's like Freud wrote has these twenty-four volumes of of psychoanalytic writings. Um, he's I think there's 
four or five volumes of his pre-psychoanalytic uh, neurological writings, scientific writings, um, and you know he was he was prolific. Um, he didn't get everything right, but in in the broad brushstrokes, um, you know a lot of his ideas have have been upheld. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, so, some things. I mean, he was he was operating in, in a certain environment, so uh, he he didn't have the I suppose the technology that we have today. Um, and he was, um, you know, I suppose he's quite limited in that, in that respect. So very much pioneering, and he can get um, chastised for, I guess, using terms like hysteria, which wouldn't be acceptable now. But I guess at the time he was working with people who maybe not too long before that would have maybe been burnt at the stake for being witches, where he would have seen it as being some kind of problem, which we might maybe understand now as being probably some form of complex trauma that he was trying to help them with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean the I mean the approach was quite varied back then, but it was also quite extreme, you know, around around Freud's time. I mean, some of the the attitudes to mental health were, were quite barbaric, you know. Where people were, you know, were, um, you know, they were committed to asylums, asylums which were weren't really much better than than workshops, you know, or workhouses. Um, and conditions were really appalling. Um, you know, there was there were. You know, there was insulin shock therapy, you know, hydrotherapy, electric shock therapy, not like ECT that we have today, different, different, you know, you know, really kind of barbaric treatments. Um, and it's often commented upon that, you know, Freud ushered in a, um, a more compassionate approach. You've mentioned Freud in the kind of post-Freudian schools, but you haven't mentioned Carl Jung, and I thought he would be part of the conversation. Am I, did I get that wrong? No, he didn't. I just, I just forgot, just forgot him. Um, he, you know, yeah, he would be very much part of the conversation. And there is a, a young, a Jungian school in Ireland too. Uh, but again, we, I mean, like our, like ourselves, the like the people in the object relations modality, we're we're in the minority, really. We're we're a small group um, of of psychoanalytic therapists. Um, internationally, Jung is is the Jungian school is quite quite big and quite strong and. Um, you know, uh, young. I suppose there is a, a lot of overlap, similarities uh, between the Jungian approach and the object relations approach. In in the UK, they they train together. You know, so they, they share they would share trainings, um, and um, I suppose young. One one way of thinking about the the, po- the post Kleinian object relations approach is there, there's a greater emphasis on emotion, on affect. Um, and Jung, you know, Jung famously, um, you know, based his theory on, on affect. So the whole idea of complexes uh, are, are emotions. Um, and so he was, um, and, and so, did, so did Freud, but, you know, he was more uh, focused on the, the, the personal unconscious where Jung was, you know, had a much more kind of broader, expansive uh, idea of the, of the unconscious. I wonder if you could describe some of the techniques or concepts that are most important, that are some of the most important aspects of psychoanalysis, Paul. Well, for, I, I can really only sp- speak for myself, myself and the approach that, that, I, that I take. Um, for, well, for me, for me um, the most important uh, concept is, is one called, one called con- containment, um, you know, where you, uh, you listen very carefully to what, what the person is saying, you know, you try you try to get to know them as well as as you can, um, you know, try to figure out as much about their history as you as you can, 
um, and you know have a, have a, a very, I suppose, respectful uh, attitude to the person and a really curious attitude to the person. So to be to be genuinely interested in in, in them and what they have to say, um, and um, not to be too too directive. Uh, so to give space for them to. Um, to, to fully express themselves um, and to receive, I suppose that's what containment is really, is to receive what, what the person is, is saying and, and feeling. Um, and, and within that idea of containment, there, there are two other concepts um, that are central to, to psychoanalytic work, uh, which is tr transference and counter-transference. Um, and you know, Freud would have identified transference in his in his writing, but he never really thought about counter-transference. That wasn't really identified until, until later on. It was actually Freud thought it was it was you know, pathological in a way that it was an indication that the the analyst needed more analysis. So counter-transference is your as an analyst, it's your own your own uh, emotional experiences in response to the to the client. You know what you know what they what they stir up in in you, as it were. Um, and being able to separate what what is your own stuff, um, and what is, what is it that that belongs to the client? That's the, the counter transference, and transference is really another way of talking about mem memory, you know, and perception. So we we all make sense of our, our worlds based on our our previous experiences, and we've we've templates, as it were, you know, in, internal working models of you know different kinds of people, different types of relationships different types of environments and we we use those to predict new or novel situations and or are kind of here and now present situations um and that's transference you know so you're, you're kind of pro you're projecting that model onto uh well onto everybody you're using it to to make sense of every every everything every place every person but it's um it's more active in relationships, because um, there's a, a, a greater uh, level of the, of the unknown uh, in, in people, because you can't know what people are thinking, you can't know what's on their minds. So you you need you need to guess, you need to um, you know pr project, as it were. Um, I, I imagine us being social creatures, <clears throat> which are important to be able to make sense of other people than it is of other things. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a really important. Um, concept within analysis, um, and Freud had this idea of uh, of uh, ego function and re reality testing. Um, so he, you know, for him the aim of of analysis. But he said the aim of analysis is to help people to work and play. Um, you know, um, and what he really means is to be able to participate in society, um, and you know, have good healthy relationships and. Um, not project too much, to to be able to you know uh, accurately test reality, to have a, a kind of an accurate enough version of reality in your in, in your mind, um, and that's what that's really I suppose that's that's a really important concept for analysis, and that's what that's what you're you're doing in the work is you're helping people to to kind of you know disassemble um, these these faulty. Uh, transference projections and reassemble them in a, in a more accurate way. I think it's quite similar to CBT 
Um, if someone is working on, we might call them unhelpful thinking styles. So, you know, kind of biased way of thinking might be mind reading or being critical of themselves or making judgments with little information. You know, it's the same how their judgments of the here and now can be clouded by these parts of them that take over to see things from that perspective. And you're trying to, to work with, with that. And I think for the same outcome, you know, so that people can work and play so that you can live a meaningful and um, enjoyable life, not just things that give you a sense of meaning, but you know, to, to play, to have fun. Just to go back to the idea of transference and counter-transference, um, that sounds like a, a dress, that sounds like something that could be very uncomfortable. And again, it, it brings me back to, I think it's a Jungian saying, in the filth it shall be found, which talks about, um, I think it's another way of looking at that is, where's what you most want to find where you're least likely to look? So those things that are difficult or scary for us, that's what those answers are. And the idea to me of, addressing transference and counter-transference sounds a bit kind of scary which also makes me think gosh it's maybe something that i should be doing more of but it's not it's not a thing in cbt maybe we would have covered it a little bit in, as part of our training but i'm aware it's not something that's actively discussed or uh, encouraged and um, i wonder our maybe third way of therapies as far as i know that don't use transference counter-transference are we missing a trick well for, from my perspective yes um i, I think so um, again, I put, you know, you asked me about key concepts in in, in psychoanalytic work. Um, um, a core, the core of psychoanalytic training and work is the analyst's own own analysis, their own therapy. Um, so you know, we're we're required to be in, in therapy for a long time. Uh, while we're while we're currently, it's um, while you're still in train while you're still in training. So our, our training is is four years uh, at postgraduate level. Um, so you you have to have a a previous kind of allied training or qualification, but when you start your analytic training, you also start your own analysis uh, for a minimum of twice twice a week, um, and um, that continues for for the four years and and actually has to continue until you you've completed all your training cases, which can bring the training up to five or six years seven in extreme, in extreme circumstances for some people but many of us continue with, with our analysis many many psychoanalysts um you know stay in analysis for you know for a long a long time because it's very helpful for the work um so that's a that's a really important part of of the approach and in, in that with this just what you've described james it's 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 about looking at your own your own kind of difficult to look at stuff and that that's another way of of maybe uh describing the work that we do is that we we help i mean we, we all have a tendency to look away from things or to move away from things that make us really uncomfortable um and are, are painful emotionally and psychologically and uh, analysis is about helping people to to look at look at that to actually start to turn turn their head as it were and face it and be able to tolerate looking at it initially um and then to be able to, to actually move move into it and explore it, um, and ultimately to integrate it into uh, into into the, the the here and now. And I think integration being an important part of it. You hear the, the word come up. It actually makes me think a lot of um, this is the type of therapy that I I mention the whole time, uh, Paul. Internal family systems, and I should reiterate that I'm not trained in it. It's just something I have a lot of interest in. I think I would like to train in, and with internal family systems, the goal is to be self-led. 
and self is like you know it's embodying your your purest self it's probably a bit of a ham-fisted way of describing it but when you can do that there's something curative about that and part of that is being courageous and i think if you're to address these things in a room it's being courageous rather than letting these other parts of you manifest or fester and so yeah you're 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 trying to embody self as much of course there's huge overlap with all these modalities james you know that we're you know we're all I think working in the same area but we're using different language you know and different, slightly different kind of concepts but that that's very much aligned to this ob- object relations approach so in, in in contemporary psychoanalysis we talk about like, internal objects and internal object relations what that really means is a an internalized you know working model of uh templates for relationships um and, and people so the, there's an internalized fa- family, uh, you know, in, in, in our minds, as it were. And um, the, we, we, we use those models to, to kind of structure and, and, and navigate our, our worlds. Just wonder about some of the common tropes of psychoanalysis, Paul, you know, that you might hear in popular culture, like dream interpretation, the Rorschach test, lying on the couch, the Oedipus complex. I mean, they're just a few, but are they all still uh, either used as theoretical frameworks or used as uh, techniques in therapy yeah very, uh, very much so with the exception of the Rorschach uh, I'd say um, although you know some some of my colleagues will be, will be psychoanalytically trained but also are, are therapists so they might em- employ some of the, the Rorschach techniques but the, I think that's very mainly um, used in the in the area of you know psychological assessment uh, not so much in the area of therapy um to, well, to my mind anyway to my knowledge um but dream analysis yes um you know uh, that's not that we we uh, you know actively seek out dreams from our patients but we do we do we do let them know that that's something that we're interested in and that if they have a dream you know and if they remember it they should bring it into the session you know or feel free to bring it into the session um and we we work we work with dreams dreams are very very helpful um they're, you know, they're, they often provide a kind of a snapshot of uh, the, the person's mind. Is there a framework that you work on for that, Paul, or is it more that looking for again for themes and patterns? Uh, well, the, the traditional uh, framework, Freudian tra- framework, is to um, to kind of gather up all the associations. So the person the person will will relay their dream t- dream to you first, um, and then uh, the, the Freudian therapist would ask would invite associations to the to the dream so they'd ask the person you know what does it remind you of anything do you you know any, does anything come to mind for you in relation to this aspect of the dream or that aspect of the dream um and that's one way of of address of addressing it or or using dreams um the i suppose uh the the more Jungian approach is is to uh again listen to the to the person's dream and uh you know just invite them to talk about it a bit more um so that you know you have this concept within psychoanalysis that freudians analyze down and jungians analyze up so freudians look for the association freud talked about the manifest content of the dream which is the dream report and then the latent content which is the associations to the dream which gives access to uh to in his terminology repressed memories and instincts and feel and feelings uh the unconscious aspects where 
for Jung, um, it was much more expansive in the sense that the, the dream contained symbols that could be amplified. Uh, and, and also the, the dream was doing psychological work, that the dream, you know, was working on a problem um, and would, would, would contain a solution to that problem. Uh, Freud actually believed that the, the dream wasn't, wasn't doing any psychological work at all. Um, the, the, the sole purpose of the dream was to keep the dreamer asleep was to be a guardian of sleep, to protect sleep. So Freud, Freud was very, very much a Darwinian. Um, and he, you know, he, he, he would take the approach that the dream must have some function, you know, in evolutionary terms, or else it would have been, you know, preserved throughout evolution. And, um, but Jung, you know, was, and I think Jung's approach is probably borne out to be more um, from, the, from, the, from the neuroscience and the sleep research to be more kind of accurate in terms of that it's actually doing you know very important psychological work so we know now that that dreams are um they're, they're processing mainly mainly um emotional content and, and they're involved in emotional learning and what, what they refer to as memory cons consolidation and reconsolidation particularly the uh, the affective elements of dreams so my my own approach to that is to, to you know, it's 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 almost enough to allow someone just to report their dream, um, and then to, you know, to maybe notice um, bits of it that um, you know might be relevant to something we've spoken about that day, or maybe in a previous session. Um. So Freud and Jung had very different approaches. It sounds so. For Freud, it was it, the function was to keep you asleep. Although you know, I'm not sure what he thinks about when you have those dreams. You think you're falling, they wake you up straight away. Or nightmares. Um, and I think it's like where the, the wall between the subconscious and the unconscious drops down and they kind of interact with us. Um, as you say, Jung sounds to be yeah a lot more in line with contemporary understanding of dreaming, that it's it's working, it's processing, it's doing its, its own psychological um, in, interactions, Which because I'm trained in EMDR as well, and um, EMDR uses eye movements, and they're not, you know, the theories aren't set in, well, they're just theories, but they believe that there's something to do with eye movements uh, that helps process information sort of something that but the bilateral stimulation activate one side of the brain and the other that's also seen in the dreaming stage of sleep the rem stage of sleep and that even just kind of talking about that it's late and it's almost it's alive and that the answers will come from that when you speak about it yeah I, I mean, from my own experience i think it's it, it can be sometimes enough just for the person to to talk about the dream because the the affect gets gets released or gets expressed it becomes available in, in in that you know and you know then there might be an opportunity to, to to open that up a bit more for the person and and you know to to connect it to other things and then it's 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 like like what you mentioned before about the cbt that there's a lot of work goes on um in between the sessions it's it's there's a lot of work that goes on in between the psychoanalytic sessions too but it's probably less directive or less prescriptive but you know a lot, a lot of the work happens after the session you kind of hope that the the ball it's been set in motion and that it'll go on from there yeah yeah um, and we've uh, oh, sorry go on yeah i was just gonna say that the the couch the couch is still is is still used you know um so the the people are invi invited to to use the couch um so some some people do and some people don't some people prefer to, to work on the chairs but the invitation is always there to you to use the couch um, you know, and uh, sometimes people will 
maybe use the couch one day and use chairs the next day. I feel like I could see how that could help. I don't know. I almost feel like it would have given me greater access to whatever parts of the brain I'm trying to access by kind of, you know, having that staring into space while you talk. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, Freud was very aware of it. I mean, it's it's often reported that Freud said that he, you know, he just found it hard to have people looking at him all day. Um, and I mean, I can I can relate to that on some level too. But um, I think he's, you know, we have to give him a bit more credit than that. He's he was a quite an accomplished neurologist, and he he knew um, that you know that the, the, the I suppose that there's a large amount of cortical real estate given over to the visual system, um, and that you're when you're when you're communicating or interacting with somebody like face to face, it's very cortical. It's very his 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 language very it's got very ego to ego um and when you when you don't have that um you know you, you free both the analyst and the and the patient up you know uh from the ego ego to ego piece and um you know there's just greater greater flexibility greater access to the the unconscious um themes and and and, and processes yeah. how about the oedipus complex would that be still Consider the framework that psychoanalysis would use when considering, say, they, someone's history, their relationship with their parents. Oh yeah, maybe maybe I mean it, it varies from uh, from analyst to analyst. You know how they, they interpret that and you and use that um, that that theory and that model, um, but it's it's very much um, you know a central part of uh, understanding uh, re- repression. Uh, you know and. Um, I suppose you know when we're, talk- when we're talking about these these unconscious kind of templates and internal working models, um, the, the the family is the is the first um, exposure to uh, to the social world for for us all. Um, so it's it's our it's our big template. So mo- most contemporary analysts would uh, look at it from that perspective, um, and there'd be less emphasis on the on the sexual aspect of the. the you know the, the traditional original theory, but at the same time there there is an acknowledgement that it you know these templates also you know contain um, the sexual elements. The you know the, the 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 early kind of precursors for for sexual behavior, sexual uh, understanding, sexuality. Um, you know does uh, have its origins in the in the family, not not the not the kind of gen- genetic aspects of it you know but the the more kind of behavioral environmental aspects of it you know what you know what it feels like to express yourself uh sexually you know to be to be open to be vulnerable um and and, and all of that you know and what what kind of more importantly what kind of a an emotional atmosphere does does it happen in which i think of traditionally irish sexuality being maybe quite a stifling or repressive culture i mean i know we're talking about the family but uh, i guess the family will be a part of a culture and there'll be some level of scaling up and scaling down absolutely yeah yeah and you mentioned a bit earlier about when you're in training that you'd have therapy twice a week my understanding is it can be up to kind of four maybe five times a week that's traditionally been how it's done is that yeah. still the level of frequency for psychoanalysis it, it changes it, it varies you know uh, from from person to person the i mean the option is always there you know, for people to have a greater frequency, most most people, I think, practicing as, as psychoanalysts, um, you know, would be once once a week or twice twice a week, 
Um, sometimes, if, if uh, as as often happens in, in the work, that people might, you know, experience a crisis um, that might come more frequently for a period period of time. It would be it would be rare, I would say, for people to 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 attend any any more frequently than twice a week now. Have any short forms of psychoanalysis been developed? Uh, there are there are a, a couple. I mean, I think mo- most kind of working psychoanalysts you know see people short in you know short term as well um it's just a you know it's just the nature of 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 the work you know so it, dep- it depends you know where the person is at um in in terms of their own availability their own capacity to engage with the work you know uh, some people can you know can only use or access the therapy for for a brief period of time and the the, the view on that is that you know it's it's better than nothing uh, for people, there's always the invitation to come back and to you know to to continue at a, at another time. But there is there is um um there is a brief training that's come out of uh, University College London uh, with P- Peter Fonagy, uh, who's a, re- a researcher there, mainly around uh, attachment theory is his area. But he's he's developed with colleagues um, a, a, a brief intervention. Um, I think it's called. Um, I think it's, it's actually called brief psychodynamic therapy, um, but it's it's you know it's designed to work in the NHS alongside uh, CBT models, um, and it's uh, I think it's um, eight to ten week model, you know where you you focus very very carefully on um, the, the the kind of dynamics as as they present, um, and you just you, know, you just work on, on I suppose the most in, the most intensive um, aspect of it uh, initially. Mm. It makes the thing pop to mind there. Um, necessity is the mother of invention, and uh, I know from working in the NHS in those primary care services, a lot might be in primary care that's being offered. That yeah, it's all about six to ten to twelve max twenty um, sessions. So if that's kind of the, the environment that you're in, you maybe have to adapt to to do that to offer something that can fit within that that framework. How has psychoanalysis been contending with? Kind of more contemporary approaches, where therapies are short terms. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure about the idea of psychoanalysis. You know, contending with it because I think most most um, most analysts are are, are b- busy working in their practices and they're not. They're not. You know, really, they don't feel like they're contending with 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 anything. I certainly want my my experience or the experience of many of my my close colleagues. Um, so we don't we don't necessarily feel like we're cont- contending with with anything. I think in the reality in in Ireland anyway is that the you know the the the, the more short form therapies kind of work uh, in in tandem with with the longer term therapies. So you know people might you know it's very often it's not unusual for um, you know for psychoanalysts to. Um, you know, to see people who who may have been in short, shorter form therapies, you know, once, twice, several times, maybe, um, and just felt that the, 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 you know, they would they would benefit from having something a little bit more more deeper, and, um, you know, um, and so I, I think they actually they, they kind of coexist quite well in a way, um, but in terms, of, I mean, there is a there is a kind of a narrative out there, maybe, or a discourse uh, at some level that they are. Um, they're in conflict with each other. Uh, I, I don't think that's the case. Um, um, the, the and you know the, I suppose 
traditionally psych- psychoanalysis hasn't been great in, in terms of uh, research, you know, um, and uh, uh, certainly is not as, as much published research out, out there around the, the effectiveness or efficacy of psychoanalytic therapy in relation to CBT and shorter form therapies. But what is out there um, it does provide an evidence base for, for psychoanalytic approaches and um, there's a there's a paper uh, by a guy called Jonathan Shedler. It's a, a, a meta-analysis, which is a, a review of all all the empirical research, um, and it it concluded that uh, psychoanalysis uh, is at least as effective as uh, CBT. Um, and uh, when when you follow up, uh, you know, three months, six months, twelve months. Um, psychoanalytic approaches are, are more effective at, at follow-up. There's a what they what they, what they refer to as a sleeper effect, um, and I think that's that that reflects the fact that we're we're probably operating at a at a deeper level, you know, below the surface. Um, and that's, you know, the, the, I suppose the, um, uh, the 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 work and the outcomes are are are, are, are operating at a, at a deeper level. I guess when I, I suppose I pose it like they're contending, whereas I think you are more right in saying that they coexist. Sometimes I think of the funding when it comes to training. I just know in the UK at least that so much money is poured into CBT that, you know, it just it grows from that. And in Ireland, I'm not sure of all the courses, but I, I think that the majority of, say, clean site courses would be CBT heavy. And, you know, you think, oh, does that suffocate the psychoanalysis? But then, you know, I think like in, in my own experience, I'm training CBT and I've worked at it for you know, six years and I am interested in more. I'm interested in this more psychodynamic approach, as I mentioned, internal family systems earlier. Um, EMDR has a psychodynamic element to it. I really like the idea of schema therapy, cognitive analytical therapy. So I think there's going to be, if you're in one, if you're in one side of it, that you're going to be drawn towards the other. Maybe even this. I'm not sure. Does it work the same way? It makes me think of how Aaron Beck was a psychoanalysis, a psychoanalyst, um, and he went on to develop cognitive therapy. You know, more here now, goal oriented therapy. I wonder is that the case, Paul? Do you find like so personally? I mean, it's just my own case study. I would find myself looking at learning more from the depth psychologies or just psychodynamic psychologies. And um, does it work the opposite way? Do you find some people who are in psychoanalysis, they actually like to train up in more things like maybe like acceptance, commitment therapy, DBT, you know, more skill-based here and now therapies or change-based here and now therapies? Um, I suppose the, the, the short answer is no. <laughs> um, I think, you know, people who train in, in analysis, you know, um, what the, so, and again, I can only speak to my own, my own experience, but um, I, I suppose in, in, well, even with the simple CBT, as I understand it, I'm no expert in it, but, you know, I think they're, you know, in long-term work, you, you are going to work at a more cognitive level sometimes with people. Maybe initially you might work more cognitively. So I think I think the, the psychoanalytic approach maybe encompasses elements of all the other um, approaches. So you, you, you certainly will maybe notice a cognitive analytic therapy, schema therapy, that you, you can see the the influence of the psychoanalytic in in those and we you know i suppose in in in, in the work we probably recognize elements of it in our, in our own practice you know um that they're so the way i think about it is that the, these these shorter form therapies are 
maybe focusing on um, certain elements or aspects of psychoanalytic work, you know, that are kind of being t taken out of it in isolation in some way and, and applied, you know, which is which is okay. I mean, it's 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 a, it's a working model for 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 people, but in in the longer ter longer term, longer form psychoanalytic work, the, these elements occur naturally, maybe or organically, in in the psychoanalytic approach, you know? which which is what Aaron T. Beck did you know he you know he's he's essentially um working at the ego level he's, he's a psychoanalyst you're probably aware of that um but he's you know he just you know there's there's a movement in in america a, a, a psychoanalytic school called ego psychology and what what beck did was really just kind of you know ab abstract and condense some of the, the major principles from from ego psychology so a a, a lot of what happens in Maybe CBT, not maybe now in its more contemporary form, but initially, it's something that are things that would have happened in in psychoanalytic treatments. I imagine that psychoanalysis has informed many other psychotherapies. I I, th I think so. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not expert in in lots of other therapies, but I mean that the that fundamental principle that you can br bring about effective change by talking. You know, I think that's that's profoundly psychoanalytic. And as well that the therapeutic relationship is considered to be the most important factor in change. Yeah. Yeah. And we just short in time now, Paul. So before we finish up, I'm not sure if you had a, a book or books or any kind of material. It could be a movie. It could be um, a podcast that you'd recommend uh, for, other, for those maybe looking to either dip their toe into psychoanalysis or even just your favourite that it might take. It might be for someone that knows a bit more about psychoanalysis, but that could get even more from it. Yeah, um, let me think. Um, in terms of podcasts, uh, there's a there's a really good long-standing podcast uh, called Shrink Wrap Radio. Um, a friend, a friend of mine, colleague of mine, David Van Nice, uh, based in uh, Sonoma County in California. He's uh, He's a great resource for, uh, for well, all things psychological, really. But he's a he's, he's quite a strong um, psychoanalytic Jungian uh, bent. Um, new new books in psychoanalysis is a is a good a good podcast as well. Um, in terms of books, anything by uh, Adam Phillips is very good. is 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 accessible. Um, and any I suppose just if you're interested in the in the area, any any kind of intro, introductory. Uh, text uh, to psychoanalysis is, is, a, is a good way in. Thanks for all that, Paul. And thanks you for your time today. That was very enlightening and learned a lot. It's been a pleasure, James. Lovely, lovely to, to, to speak.